This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I'm here with Mims. How are you? I'm doing great. Feeling fab. You have really great energy today. I know, I'm feeling it. Yeah, I'm I doing... could feel it when you came in. I was kind of grumpy and you just came in like a bright shining light on my day today. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes, um, it wasn't even like a special or any particular day today either. It's just, I think I was in a slump before. I was in a slump and finally I'm like, coming out just punching through i love it thank you yeah so here i am and here you are yeah i think i'm just tired i haven't taken a day off in a lot a lot of days because i'm working on my studio yeah that's so amazing i'm so happy for you it's been a long time coming yes so this is your um formal announcement of this Oh yeah, let me do the formal announcement. Yeah. I'm opening Captivation Creative Studio here in Appleton. So hopefully I don't have any stalkers listening. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's going to be for photography and podcasting and like a collective space for artists. So if there's any artists listening that need somewhere to display their work for sale. Yes. DM me. Yes. Um, so just good energy here. Um, very accepting. Yeah. Open space. Um, yeah, all races, genders, sexual orientation, whatever. I do not care. Nope. It's open for everyone. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Super excited. Look I'm going to be really excited when it's done because, man, is that a lot of work. Because we're also opening up a new boutique at the same time. So doing the most. Right. Well, that's really amazing. Great steps. Thank you. Okay, um, so there was the Chicago shooting. Yeah. Do you remember that? It happened last week. Yeah, in uh, Park. Mm-hmm. 33 shots, one killed. Um, it was over the, the weekend. Um, yeah, so it was crazy on the 400 block of North Sage Street. Just, I don't know, it was just a drive-by shooting apparently. That boy that did it was crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he was thinking. Was so it was a. I'm reading here. It was a. So it was a boy. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, well, I guess he was a man. He was a young man. Gotcha. Yeah. I just don't know what would possess somebody to do that. I don't know. And these things, like my kids wanted to go to the fireworks and stuff, and I was like, I just don't feel crowds right now. No. At all. Like normally, I would like to go and sit out there, even though there's no independence in America. <laughs> but I was like, I still like fireworks. Yeah, absolutely. But this year, I was like, I just don't feel comfortable being in a huge crowd right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I also feel anxious too. Yeah. I don't ever leave my house anymore. Um Yeah. But that's for personal reasons and <laughs> and anxiety reasons. So, but yeah, it's it's a cruel world out here. It is. I don't really go anywhere but home in the studio. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Your safe spaces. Yeah, my safe places. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really do any big public things either. Yeah. No. But we're going to do a convention. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you all know about that. So we should be seeing we'll all be, of you. We'll be there with all of our anxiety. Yes. So if you come up to us and you see that we're sweating, <laughs> it's because we're riddled with anxiety. So, no, but we'll love to see everybody there. Yeah, we will. I'm sure it'll be a great warm environment. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? There's going to be some crazy motherfuckers there, too. So, like, True. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. So. It'll be great. Fuck with us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're crazy, too. So. <laughs> Facts. Anything else that you have? Um, I don't think so. Okay. So, let's just get on with it. Get on with the show. Okay. Okay. I am. first. Yeah, I am. Okay. I had to look that up before because we don't know what's going on. Because we don't have a Steven. We don't have a Steven. We need a Steven. Oh, I know one thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. That I don't like to have to talk about. Did you hear about Billy Jensen's issues? Uh, oh, is this going to bring me down? Yeah, they canceled the murder squad and everything. Oh, why? Because Billy Jensen was apparently not very nice to women. Oh, come on, dude. Yeah. I love so, them, too. Me, too. Oh, I'm what the pu- fuck? I was a huge fan of Billy Jensen. Did you... Do you know what? Um... I didn't read all of the stuff, but let That's me... That's okay. And if you guys don't know what we are talking about, Billy Jensen is on a podcast with Paul Holes, who we all love. Um... It is... My goodness, how do I not know this? The Murder Squad, you said that before. Yeah, so he's a co-host, and Mm -hmm. he was a journalist. Yes, he was a true crime journalist. He has worked on a lot of unsolved cases. Mm -hmm. So, pretty big name in the crime community. Yes. Oh, that's Always fighting for the victims. Right, right. So that's really sad. So he has allegations against him for sexual misconduct, and he is saying that they are untrue, but they were made by uh, Jen Tisdale, who is also a podcaster. Mm-hmm. And he, she said that he had slapped her at one point. There's some kind of sexual allegations going on. So they just scrapped their whole, their whole uh, podcast then, huh? Yeah. Mm. Apparently, there have been other allegations of sexual harassment by him at a company that put out his true crime podcast. Oh, jeez. So, and that is what apparently ended the podcast, because I was wondering what was going on, that they hadn't had an episode of Murder Squad out in the longest time, mm-hmm. and there was, like, no announcement or anything, so apparently they scrapped it due to the allegations. His book has also been delayed, but HarperCollins has not said if it was connected to the allegations or not. They're not commenting on what caused the delay. And Jensen said that Tisdale's claims that he slapped her when they kissed were 
incorrect that that didn't happen yeah i think that any sort of accusations and um anything that's brought to light really needs to be backed up yeah so i don't know we'll we'll keep updating as yeah. we we read yeah oh that sucks it does you brought my sparkle a little bit down i'm sorry <laughs> i just we started <laughs> people are probably like how did she get there yeah. i was thinking about my favorite murder and then i was thinking about all oh, the murder squad i can see the train of thought okay yeah i don't know if anybody else could but yeah <laughs> that's I, how that happened yeah absolutely it's all related yeah that's oh. all i got now okay all right wow um so today i am doing the murder of nancy tau my sources are from murderpedia a really cool article called a mile of murder um, order 6C504C and newspapers.com. So let's go back in time to the year before I was born on um, the night of July 22nd, 1994. It was just so long ago. <laughs> you know what? It feels like a lifetime. <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> uh, so it's Green Bay, Wisconsin on a summer night. You know, much like right now, yeah. the 22nd is next week, yeah. so almost on the anniversary. Um, so she hot. Yeah. Um, so people were fast asleep in full REM, you know, mm-hmm. just really having a good night's sleep. Specifically on the first floor of an apartment complex on Day Street in Green Bay. Day Street is a residential street um, that wasn't immune to the harsher crimes like murder okay um i'm not entirely familiar with green bay are you no okay i don't like it there i don't i'm not fond of it either yeah so it's not my favorite no uh so it's located on the city's near east side it measures approximately one mile in length and includes many lower to mid-level income families and a mix of rental units and owner-occupied housing so pretty you know middle of the road yeah uh so day street in points in green bay's history has been the location of crime um heinous events and has put residents on edge but yeah. people still live there, you know? People mm-hmm. make it at home. So a man who had been released from Brown County Jail to look for work had other plans than besides to look for work. That happens sometimes. Yeah, that happens a lot of times, and I don't <laughs> like it. Uh, so, which, you know what? I can't totally knock, because it is hard for a felon to find a job. Right. But that does not mean you should resort to more crime yeah crime does not should not you know equal more crime in life (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense it's a vicious cycle yeah so he decided to use a folding chair that he found in the front yard of this apartment complex and place it underneath the window and use it to prop himself through Hmm. he landed in a i'm sorry he uh, used a straight razor to cut the screen open and he landed in a bedroom, which was unoccupied, thankfully, at this point. Mm-hmm. He then entered the living room, and he started looking for items to steal, and then he found a purse. He opened it and found some food stamps, which he took, 
And then he proceeded from the living room through a kitchen area and opened a door at the far end of the apartment and discovered that this door led into another bedroom where several people were inside sleeping. He then closed the door, you know, quickly because he didn't want to get caught and tried to make as little noise as possible, then went back to keep looking for more things to steal. Um, So while he was searching, something unexpected happened. One of the residents who was in the apartment woke up and this was five-year-old Nancy Tao. And yeah. And what is most scary of this story is the fact that the man was a resident of this apartment complex as well he lived on the second story so that made them neighbors obviously she she's seen him before yes so now things went from bad to ugly nancy only being five was still threatening to this man because obviously she could recognize him just be like yeah that's neighbor gary you know Mm -hmm. so being that they were neighbors it escalated the situation So, as Nancy's eyes finally adjusted and she officially had woken up, she saw the man to be uh, Johnson Wade Gray Buffalo, who was a young man in his 20s that even had a young child of his own around Nancy's age. Johnson pulled out the knife that he had before and started stabbing little Nancy to death. He then remembered seeing keys in the purse he had first found and removed two sets from it. And then he used one of them to start the family van that was parked outside. But on his way out, he grabbed Nancy's body and dumped it in the garbage can next to the apartment building. So just tossed her out. Mm. He then sped off in the van and fled to Madison, which was quite the drive, you know, from Green Bay to Madison. Yeah. Um, Don't know what... Odd choice. Right. Maybe he's thinking, I just need to go to, like, the next big city, but I would think Milwaukee. I don't know. Yeah. He talked to his friends while he was on the run and told them that he stabbed someone the night that Nancy was killed, but claimed the victim was a young black youth in a group that attacked him on the street. So Mm -hmm. he made up this whole other story he wanted to get it out that he killed someone but he didn't want people to know who that's a good was. point right yeah he was it was probably weighing on him yeah but he couldn't get the words out yeah which is fucked because if you can do it you yes. should be able to say it yes if you can do it you need to take responsibility for doing it yes so can you imagine the chaos that nancy's family woke up to literally finding blood on their floors and their house was clearly broken into they see like a window was open and then they were robbed you know just seeing like oh my food stamps is gone my car keys are gone and then you turn a corner look into a bedroom and see that your five-year-old is not there anymore oh my god and to think like this was all over food stamps that were just found yeah that literally made a child lose her life so Nancy's mother placed a call to 911 and she was at first they didn't realize that Nancy was fully missing. They were just like we've been robbed. Like some people or something was stolen. So she called and she said we were broken into. Mm-hmm. And then she was dismissed. They're like no, nope, this isn't an emergency. Nancy's father followed up with the phone call and said my daughter is now missing. And they said, this line is only reserved for emergencies and hung up. 
So then Tao, uh, who is the father, ran to a telephone book to find the police department's actual phone number and tried their luck with getting help from that phone call. So it literally took three calls to get some assistance by the fucking police. That's ridiculous. Finally, they were taken seriously and police and a detective was sent out. Her family searched for Nancy's body and found her in the dumpster outside the family's apartment where she was put. Uh, Her medical autopsy discovered that she suffered 19 cuts uh, to her head, neck, chest, and abdomen, and other injuries inflicted with a blunt force object. So... It wasn't just the stabbing. He probably beat her as well. So, um, it was only like a matter of a day-ish before Mm -hmm. he was arrested in Madison because of the van that was stolen. So, they're like... Oh, he was still driving their stolen van. Yes. He was a genius. (laughs) Yes. So, obviously, the Tao family reported that, okay, these are the things that were stolen and then they cross-referenced that with the van that he was currently in. Uh, so during the trial, he testified that a friend of his killed Nancy. Not him, mm-hmm. but his friend did. Mm-hmm. But using sophisticated gen- genetic testing, medical experts linked blood and tissue from Nancy to samples taken from Johnson and his clothes, which matched. So none of that was true. Right. So, Brown County District Attorney John Zawowski called uh, Johnson a good excuse for the death penalty and that this person who cannot be on the street at all, which is like, wow, could you imagine being called like, this is why we have the death penalty? Right. Because of you. Yeah. When who kills an innocent child. Yeah. Just for like waking up and be like, what are you doing in my house? Yeah. This is how much trouble was he really going to be in for stealing some food stamps? I would have been like, you know, it's just fucking food stamps. I'm out of here. Yeah. Like, you didn't see me. (laughs) (laughs) This is all a dream. Yeah. I would have played it off, too. It's like, I'm not really here. (laughs) Um, So ultimately, in 1995, Johnson Gray Buffalo was found guilty by an eight woman, four man jury that deliberated for an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, they were like, yeah, you're guilty, fuck you. Yeah. Um, so they found him guilty of first-degree intentional homicide and was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, his fingerprints were found on a storm window and on a fan in Nancy's room, which I was like, why were you touching the fan? But, mm. okay. One of the jurors stated they didn't even really need the DNA evidence that the print on the fan, it gave it away that he was there and he had blood on him, too. Yeah. So, Brown County Circuit Judge Donald Hannaway sentenced Johnson Gray Buffalo, who, like I said before, was 20 at the time, um, to mandatory life prison and extended his parole eligibility to his birthday in 2070. Circuit uh, Court Judge Hannaway sentenced Johnson to additional 20 years in prison for armed burglary of the Tao home and ordered that he serve the sentence after the term for murder for the murder that until it was completed. Um, so Gray Buffalo gave no statement before sentencing. He was quiet throughout the whole trial. Didn't have much to say, which I don't know what you could say. Yeah. 
He then appealed the conviction, but it was affirmed in a ruling handed down by the State Court of Appeals on April 30th, 1996. Um, But that was not the end of the whole situation. So Nancy's parents, Tua and Z Tao, who were immigrants from Laos, were not done fighting for her justice. They filed a civil suit against Johnson, receiving a judgment in their favor in excess of one million. The downfall of this judgment is the fact that he is sentenced to life behind bars. Right, so they'll get like three dollars a month. Yeah, so it's never going to be even a fraction of what was awarded. So I think more it's probably less about the money and more mm-hmm. of like nailing him. Yeah. He was sent to the Green Bay Correctional Institution to serve his sentence and Johnson heavily immersed himself in the rituals of his Ojibwe nation, which eventually led to him filing a federal lawsuit against the Wisconsin Department of Corrections on October 8th, 2003. In his lawsuit, he accused prison officials of infringing upon his right under the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. Uh, they basically took away, or they told him that he couldn't practice what he was practicing, um, that it was, you know, like they would cut him off, they would kind of like badger him, they would, you know, how prisons yeah. work. Mm-hmm. So the case is officially known as. Gray Buffalo versus Frank, who was one of the defendants. Um, I don't know if I really want to get into all of it, because I don't feel like that's pertinent to what happened to Nancy, but if you want to go look at it, I have the link in the show notes. Okay. Um, so the case aroused a lot of shock and anger in the local community, especially the Hmong community. Yeah. And since, you know, this was kind of like my case last week. They're really tight-knit. Yeah. And, you know, this area was really heartbroken that something like this could happen in their neighborhood. Yeah. So her father stated, Nancy can rest in peace now that her murder has been convicted. We're looking for brighter futures and hoping for the better, end quote. So her father had a really cool backstory. He fled from a refugee camp from Thailand in 1987 and started a new life here in the United States. He thought that his life turned a new leaf. Uh, he got a good job. He had a social life. He had a growing family. And he was free from being in a refugee camp. You know, he was yeah. an actual person with a life. Right. And to him, after everything he went through, nothing compared to him losing his five-year-old baby girl being just ripped from her home and from their lives all in one night. So after the traditional Hmong funeral, a hundred friends and family family showed up to honor Nancy Tao, and she lived for only five years, but she was so loved and she touched so many people's lives. Yeah, that's so sad. This one's for you, Nance. That's why I barely sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Like, the other day, Zamara was walked down the stairs, and I was sleeping on the couch, and I, as she walked down the stairs, I asked her what she was doing, and she said, do you actually sleep, or do you just pretend to be sleeping, (laughs) because I hear everything. Do you? Oh, my God. I could not live that way. 
Yeah. I cannot live that way. I, like, as soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm like, blink, blink, out. Really? Yeah. How do you do that? I have no idea. I've been doing it since, like, <laughs> ever. No problems. I was telling, because I'm really close to the post people, the post office people. Yeah. <laughs> Shout, shout out to Sam and Sid. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, one of them was like, oh, I sleep good at night. I got no issues with the Lord. And I'm like, <laughs> I got some issues, but I still sleep good at night. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, you got to say a prayer every night and I, I go to sleep fine. I'm like, all right, Sam. <laughs> so that's a wrap on mine. Okay. Today, I am telling the story of Ralph Armstrong, who served more than 28 years in prison for murder before his conviction was finally overturned by a judge in 2009. So, this is a really interesting one. Yeah. My sources today are theinnocenceproject.org and forjustice.org. So, on June 24, 1980, Sharice Camps was a 19-year-old student at UW-Madison, and she was found naked and face down in her bed after being strangled to death in her apartment, and the belt, belt, I can't talk, belt, belt of her bathrobe was draped, found draped over her back, which I'm assuming that's probably what she was strangled with, I don't know. Yeah. So, the police began investigating. They were collecting clothing and evidence from her apartment, along with hairs and fingerprints. And they found out that the night she died, she had been partying and doing drugs with Ralph Armstrong, his brother Steve Armstrong, and some others. Ralph admitted to police that he had been doing cocaine with Sharice earlier in the evening in her apartment. Around 9.30 that evening, he said, and then they had left out to go meet up with their other friends for the night. Okay. And somehow Armstrong owed Sharice's boyfriend $400. He had given him some kind of loan. I'm sure it had something to do with drugs, but... Yeah, that seems like a drug loan. Yeah. And witnesses said that they did see Armstrong handing Sharice cash that evening like he had started to make the payment back to her mm-hmm. that's gonna come up later okay one of camp's neighbors talked to police he said he had been sitting out on the porch on the night of the murder and that he had witnessed a man who he described as lean and muscular drive into the neighborhood in a black and white car and then park somewhere out of sight around 2 30 a.m have you ever described anyone like well, I saw a man, and he was lean and muscular. <laughs> I feel like the two don't really go together. Okay, like, how then. could you be lean, and how could you be muscular? Okay, thank you. I'm yeah. Like, this sounds weird. Yeah, like, pick one. Pick one, exactly. He said that man ran in and out of Sharice's building about three times before disappearing back to where it was assumed he had parked his car. This is where the story starts to get interesting. Okay. In true 1980s fashion, detectives decided to hypnotize the witness before conducting a reenactment and lineup. The um, 80s were so crazy. Yeah, I mean, for it was all pe- like Satan worship, hypnotizing. For people that were really thinking that everything was taboo, they were doing weird shit. 
They really were. Yeah. They were doing the most. <laughs> okay. So the detective and the hypnotist said they admitted that they were looking at photos of Armstrong in his vehicle during the hypnosis session, but said they did not let the witness see these pictures. Why would they do something like that? The witness, however, said that he, in fact, did see these pictures mm. during his interview slash hypnosis session. Nope. Throw that out. Mm-hmm. And the witness originally had said that the suspect was about 5'3 to 5'6 with a long nose and bushy eyebrows. So, relatively short. Short. Lean. Lean but and muscular. Lean and muscular. <laughs> Harry man. Harry with a long nose. <laughs> what a guy. It was Ernie. <laughs> or Bert. <laughs> One of the two. They both look alike. Yeah. Um, crazy. Crazy yeah. description. And then the hip- the hypnotist was like, are you sure? Are you sure? And from after a lot of prodding from the hypnotist, he ended up saying, no, he was about six feet tall. I'm sorry. You go from 5'3", which is literally two inches taller than me, Mm -hmm. and you jump to six foot? Yeah. That's quite the difference. Yeah. And coincidentally, the hypnotist knew that Armstrong was six foot two. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it should also be noted that Armstrong had long, dark hair, because we're going to go into some more police nonsense. Would you ever be hypnotized? I would like to be. You wouldn't feel like somebody's going to take advantage of you? I don't think it would work on me. No? I don't know. We got to take you to one, and I got to make sure that I don't get hypnotized at the same time. <laughs> so we can look so out I, for each other? Yeah, so then I could see if it actually works on you, and then so that you also don't get molested. Yeah. Because that's not happening. Well, now I'm, now I'm scared. <laughs> you should be scared. I don't want to get molested. We don't, nobody wants to get molested. That's the thing. <laughs> Have you ever done it? No, because of this fear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think well, it's a rational fear to have. I do too, because I've seen it on TV. Yeah, absolutely. There is a movie based off of it called, like, Hypnotize or something, Hypnosis or whatever. And basically this lady goes to, like, this guy who's hypnotizing all of his clients. And he's, like, tell there he's killing them off basically so n- not mm-hmm. molesting but i mean still something horrible yeah yeah it's... so i'm freaked out so why are we going but <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing we're gonna we're gonna be there so that none of this happens we're the okay. buffer what are they gonna hypnotize us to do see that we gotta figure that out <laughs> before we go okay <laughs> yeah all right when the police did their faked, faked, fake reenactment lineup, they had Armstrong there, and they had four other participants who were police officers, and they had them wearing wigs. <laughs> You're telling me that this police station just had, like, a closet full of wigs that these men just <laughs> threw on in a lineup? Yes. Wow. And Armstrong and his attorney were not impressed with this lineup procedure at all. They're like, yeah, we don't want him to do this. Yeah. And so Armstrong decided just to go limp during the lineup. 
And he had to be carried out by two police officers. <laughs> That's just, like a weird he just played that. defense mechanism you go into. <laughs> just like going possum is what... That's what he did, yeah. He went possum. He went possum. <laughs> yes. And then the witness did pick Armstrong out of this lineup. You, you mean the possum thing didn't work? And he was the only one not wearing a wig. He was going. He had a wig on. No, he's the only one who did it because he had naturally long dark hair. Oh, gotcha. Okay. The witness did later admit that he knew that the lineup was faked. No shit. (laughs) No shit. Yeah. This all just seems like a bad movie. I would be like the guy not wearing a wig. Probably that guy. That's probably exactly what he said. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the only rational thing. Yeah. So, despite the obvious shenanigans by the police. Armstrong was still arrested for the rape and murder of Sharice Camps. In 1981, Armstrong went on trial, and the prosecutor relied on that witness testimony, forensic evidence collected from Sharice's apartment, and their made-up motive regarding the money owed to Sharice's boyfriend. The forensic analysts began their testimony by saying that there were hairs consistent with or very similar to Armstrong's that were found on the belt of the bathrobe. And they also said that there are other hairs found in the bed and that they did not belong to Armstrong or Sharice. See, that's my red flag right there when they say consistent Uh or alike. Yeah. That does not mean DNA match. No, because like if both of our hairs fell on the floor they would be consistent with each other because we yeah. both have black and blonde hair right now how did this happen too i, I was know. i was wondering that i was like we're really matching these days and i we like are. it we did not even plan <laughs> no, it it's not planned at all but yeah i could see where it's like well i mean it could go either way yeah like oh that's consistent yeah but it's not a match absolutely not and during the testimony the expert never said the hairs belong to armstrong they never said that. They just said consistent with, like, it's possible. Right. Anything is freaking possible. Right. Yeah. However, the shady-ass prosecutor, in their closing statements, said that the hairs did, in fact, belong to Armstrong. You like, can't just say that. In conclusion, these hairs that were found on the belt belong to Armstrong. No, you can't do that. Mm-mm. No. no. It's not facts. That's not what we do. Apparently, this is what this guy does, but hmm. that's not what you're supposed to do. The prosecutor also said that Armstrong had Sharice Camp's blood on his fingers and toes. I, I don't understand the toes portion of this scenario at all. Yeah, keep the toes out of this. Keep your toes to yourself. And the analyst, once again, had not said that. The analyst said that there were some chemicals that were consistent with blood on Armstrong. So... I don't, you know, there's different chemicals in your blood. Some of those chemicals were found on Armstrong, but they never determined that it was, in fact, blood at all. Right. Let alone Charisse's blood. Right. It Tell me why been. there's no testing in this whole thing. Well, this started in 1981. Okay, yeah. So the testing was very limited at the beginning of this. You know, we're still dealing with hypnotists and... <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't know how I could have forgotten that. It's like some weird time. Right. They're like, we rely on the hypnotist. The hypnotist knows everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
Armstrong's fingerprints were found on a bong in the apartment as well, but he already said he was there doing drugs earlier in the evening, so... Right, he's not hiding this. Who cares if he touched the bong? He didn't touch the girl, apparently. He's touching the bong, but that doesn't mean he's doing other things. Right. And the semen that was found on the bathrobe was determined to come from a type A secretor. Back then, this was one of the DNA tests that they could do. Mm -hmm. And they knew that Armstrong was a type A secretor. And do you know what a type A secretor is? Well, a secretor means that your DNA shows up in your bodily fluids. Not everybody is a secretor. Like, not everybody's going to have DNA in their skin cells or in their saliva. Interesting. So, So if you're a secretor, then you do. Hmm. That's all I know. I don't know about the type A part. Right. That might be his blood type. Oh, okay. Possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, it's factual. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Right. <laughs> Prosecutors argued that Armstrong was not in Teresa's apartment, apartment earlier that evening at 930 when he said he was. They said the route that he said he took and where he had to go and all the things he was doing didn't add up and that he clearly was there later at like around 12:30 when she was killed of course right they also said that although people saw him give Sharice the $400 payment that no money was found on her or in the apartment and that in the morning he had deposited $315 in the bank his defense team argued basically that the police's entire case was bullshit. Like, you're basing this case on lies and hypnotists. Right. We here are amateurs at best. Yeah. And we can see. There's some flaws there, here. Uh, there's very much a lot of flaws. <laughs> and that not a lot of this is based on, you know, factual legs. No. And... He said that he had gotten the $315 from his brother that morning, and then he went and put it in the bank. Right. And you find $400 on somebody that you're already murdering? Yeah, I'm sure that whoever did that would take that, so it doesn't mean... Exactly. That's exactly what I thought, too. Like, yeah, clearly whoever murdered her took the $400 with them. Right. So... The jury, however, did not care what the defense was talking about. They really liked this story that was put forth by the prosecution. And they convicted him. And the judge sentenced him to life in prison plus 16 years. It's mm. a long time. Yeah. Armstrong always proclaimed his innocence, though. He filed numerous appeals. In 1991, he filed an appeal stating that he was not the person who left the semen on the bathrobe because his DNA did not match. And the appellate courts claimed that this evidence was only circumstantial, and his ev- and his conviction was upheld. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Wow. Then in 1993, our great friends of the Innocence Project became involved with the case. And then finally in 2001... Mm. Damn, dude. More advanced DNA testing was available, and it was conclusively decided that Armstrong was excluded, and also Sharice's boyfriend were excluded from being the contributor of the hairs on the bathrobe. So although they were consistent, they were, in fact, not his. Wow. Despite the prosecutor claiming that they were. 
yeah they were not his they were not the boyfriends they came from somebody else the fact that like a person in court when you have to swear that you're you know Mm -hmm. speaking the truth can bold face lie like that and condemn you to something so serious he took his life away yeah he's the worst how do you sleep at night oh it gets better oh oh okay I'm going to fill you with rage on this one. I'm already filled. (laughs) Okay. Just wait. Okay. And then the semen on the bathrobe was linked to her boyfriend, which, I mean, it's her bathrobe and that's her boyfriend, so makes total sense to me. (laughs) Semen will be found. (laughs) It will be. In 2005, after this DNA testing, Armstrong's conviction was overturned by the appellate courts and he was granted a new trial. When it was time for the new trial to begin, Armstrong's legal team had somehow found out that in 1995, a woman had called and reported that she had contacted the DA's office in 1995 and told them that Steve Armstrong, the brother of Ralph, was the real perpetrator. I mean... Wow. She said that Steve was very concerned that DNA would prove that Ralph didn't do it and that Ralph would get out and realize that Steve did it. What a fucked up world because that was reported and this brother let his brother go to fucking prison. Yep. And the woman provided a graphic description of how the murder took place and the entire confession that she said was given to her by Steve. And Steve had conveniently disappeared right after the murder. Wow. Never spoke to his brother again. Wow. And remember, he's the one that Ralph said he got the $315 from that he put in the bank. Come on. Mm-hmm. In 2006, more DNA testing was done. And this testing also excluded Ralph. Despite this, the state still wanted to retry him. But then... The defense defense team had learned that the prosecutor had secretly tested the DNA evidence without telling the court or the defense about the testing, despite a court order stating that any testing done must be disclosed to the defense as well. You can add two DNA testing on your own and hide it. No. And they did, and they used up all the DNA samples. Oh, motherfuckers. And even more convenient... They tried to do Y chrome. Okay, so if people don't know, there's different kinds of DNA testing. You can test mitochondrial DNA, which will be more from your mother's side. You can do Y chromosome testing, which will be from your father's side. Mm-hmm. The DA decided to do Y chromosome DNA testing because it would not exclude Ralph, even if it was his brother Steve who had committed the crime. They would have the exact same Y chromosome DNA. Right. Because they have the same dad. And then they have different mothers. No, they oh. all have the same mother too, but I think you get more from mitochondrial DNA. I don't know exactly how that part works, okay. but I know when you do the Y chromosome testing, they both would have been matches. Wow. So they did this secretly. They used up all the available DNA samples. And, and this is why we don't trust the government. Yeah. Because of this shit. They're like, why as a DA would you want somebody in prison that you know didn't fucking do it? Right. 
what kind and of you're still trying to retry it like yes. you could have appellate court overturned it you could have just let it go but yeah. he's like no i'm gonna try you again knowing damn well he didn't do it for what how do you look at yourself every day knowing that you're doing this and i, know. I th- you know this behavior is not just for this no that's sick it really is However, due to the bad faith of the prosecution, the judge ultimately did dismiss the case. He said, no, we're not doing this. The appellate court dismissed the case. Everybody was like, we are done with this. This is ridiculous. Jesus. Armstrong had went to prison at 27 years old, and he was finally released when he was 56. Oh, my God, that poor guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. He was ultimately awarded $1.75 million. Ooh, okay, okay. He got 750000 from the state of Wisconsin and the city of Madison. And he got $1 million from Dane County, specifically because of ADA John Norsetter. Can any of that money go straight from that DA's pocket, please? Because I really fucking hope so. <laughs> God, like how I hope that after that he was done. Which he probably wasn't. I hope he was. I didn't look. I really hope he was. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, like, everyone assumes that his brother Steve did, in fact, commit the murder. However, he died in 2005, and the case has never been officially solved. So this poor girl's death got blamed on the wrong person. He got his life taken away. Her Mm -hmm. life is gone. And nobody is paying the actual price. This DA is just, I don't know, probably at home, retired, living his best life. Yeah. Somebody should punch him in the face. Daily. Daily, yes. Seriously, throw eggs at him. Daily. Yes, something. Yeah. This is why I get so, like, passionate about wrongful conviction cases. Because people forget there's a whole victim. Yeah, there's two. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the the families. There's the the actual person who was murdered or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. the person that got their life taken away without it being them. Yeah. And then the person who's off scotch-free. Yeah. There's just a murderer running loose. Well, the wrong person is sitting in jail, and there's always some crooked-ass DA at the top of the thing, like, oh, well, I thought I was doing the right thing. And is always doubling down. Always. They're like, no. That's how I always know that they're on some bullshit. Double down. Because the good DAs, if if there's a question, they'll be like, okay, you know what, let's get together, let's test this, let's see what's really going on. That's a good DA. Yeah, absolutely. DAs that's like... Well, I don't have any evidence, but you know what? You're staying in prison anyways because I convicted you and I'm never wrong. My ego is way more important than your life. Right. I hate them. Me too. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, John Norsetter. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And that's the conclusion of my rageful story today. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? That DA is not going to bring my shine down. No. He isn't going to bring ralph's shine down no and i hope that he's i don't know has hemorrhoids or something (laughs) that's a good one (laughs) (laughs) and i hope ralph is living his best life somewhere me too yeah you you do you ralph you deserve it yeah at least he you know 50 is old Mm -hmm. but you still have a whole life yeah and now he doesn't have to work great Well, he can just live his best life. Right. So do you. Yeah. 
And do you, you guys. Yeah. And we love you. <laughs> we do. Bye-bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love love you. you.